Hello and welcome to another episode of the Feminifesto podcast. In this episode, we talk to Leah Gabe, a French-American English as a second language instructor based out of San Francisco, California. Leah taught in various countries such as Senegal, Vietnam, Germany, and Spain, and is passionate about social justice, health literacy, peace building, and intercultural communication. In this episode, Leah talks about her work as a teacher and a peace builder, and takes us through all that makes all of her work possible. Thank you so much for joining us today, Leah. It's a pleasure. Um, so, could you start by telling us a bit about yourself, your growing years, your education, your work, and the journey that has led you into the work that you do today? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you, Vashnavi and and Kirti, for um, organizing this interview. I'm I'm very grateful, and I um, I'm really glad that you invited me to to speak on this podcast. So. Um, I am French American. I grew up. I was born and raised in uh, in France. I grew up in a bicultural household uh, with an American mother and a French father. So I I'd spend most of the year um, in France, and then I'd spend summers in in California, and that um, and that lasted until I was eighteen. And then uh, I decided to pursue uh, a bachelor's degree in, in the U.S. And so there I, um, I, start, I studied different um, subjects. And I, at one point, I thought that I would become um, a translator or interpreter. Um, I think that I... From an early age, I had a passion for languages. I really enjoyed learning languages. I found it fascinating, and it was, in fact, my my favorite subject in school. So, so I thought that this would be the career that that would be that would be uh, destined to have. And so, I briefly um, did after completing my uh, my bachelor's degree. I did uh, an internship in in Germany, and uh, it was a translating internship. But uh, I found the experience to be rather isolating and monotonous. I it wasn't what I had expected, and so. But then I thought, well, uh, maybe I'll give I'll still give it a chance. So I did. I went back to France and um, and and studied for a master's in in translation. Uh, but again, I. Even though it was related, that the, the um, master's was related to languages, um, I still didn't feel um, much enthusiasm. And so then, um, at one point, after completing the master's, I thought, okay, what what do I really want to do? What what uh, motivates me? And I I then it dawned on me that I really enjoyed being in a classroom. I felt buoyed when I saw students' um, uh, eyes light up when they learned something. And I'd only had, until that point, um, experience in uh, assisting teachers. So um, actually a friend of mine um, uh, told me he had, he had done a certificate in teaching English, so I thought, okay, I'm going to do that. And I did, and um, I, um, it was a one-month intensive course, and it, it provided base, uh, foundational training in, um, in teaching English. And so that's when, my, uh, that's when I uh, started teaching, and 
over the years, I discovered there was really something I loved, I believed in, I was passionate about, and so it became my career. That's an interesting journey and quite a few um, different ways to actually approach it. Thank you so much for sharing that, Leah. Um, from there on, with teaching, you also began engaging with intercultural dialogue. Could you tell us about that and what inspired you to get into that space? Sure. Well, I think um, that there are several reasons. Uh, one of them is, is, is from... Again, from an early age, I had a curiosity, a curiosity of, about others, you know, what, especially people who are different from me, um, what, you know, what did, did they have the same beliefs as I did, or as I do, do they have the same values, what, what is, what do they do in their daily life that's different, or that's the same, so it was really a way of understanding others and, and connecting, connecting um, with people um, by engaging in activities that um, um, that were meaningful or that are meaningful, and um, that can contribute to the betterment of other people's lives and the greater community. And um, and it's true when you find people with whom you have mutual interests, it can be. Um, it's, again, it's very motivating um, because you feel a sense of, um, you feel that you're working towards something, towards a mutual goal. So I found that very, um, um, again, inspiring and, and um, encouraging. Um, I also think that um, another reason is that I saw and continue to see injustices in the world. And so for me, the classroom is, or even the, the, the dialogue space, if you will, um, is a place where we can explore solutions and co-create solutions at a micro level. Um, to me, the bigger um, societal issues or the, or the conflicts in the world are too great to, to solve um, with, with just one, by one individual. So, um, I feel that having, um, a group of people, um, think about or think about or explore or, um, ponder these solutions can be really, again, um, encouraging. And, um, another reason is that uh, relates to my family's heritage. So on my father's side, they, my grandparents are um, Turkish, and so they, they grew up in uh, during the time of the Ottoman Empire, and so they were surrounded by people of different backgrounds, different faiths, different ethnicities. So I think for somehow um, that was instilled in me early on the the idea that. Um, you know, or the importance of embracing differences and the importance of, of reaching out to others and, and building, uh, building community. You, you mentioned wanting to connect with people who are different from you, uh, exploring different cultures, and the power that a classroom has in 
uh, finding solutions together uh, and surmounting problems. So on that note, can you tell us about your experiences teaching English to young Afghan girls through the Alliance for International Women's Rights? Sure. So I, um, I started volunteering um, with uh, AIWR in, um, in the fall, or sorry, in, in December of 2011. And so I had my uh, first student and it was, I didn't know what to expect, to be honest. I'd never, um, up until that point, I never worked with anyone from Afghanistan. I knew very little uh, about the country. Um, um, you know the or negative news not notwithstanding um and so this was really an opportunity for me to learn because i was not just teaching english i was really um learning learning about another culture learning about um um life um in another space and so um the students um throughout the years have been are so incredible and they they've been actually my teachers because they've shared a lot about um their lives um, in particular their experiences in in school where they um they've been uh, they've experienced challenges from the teachers from their classmates um their lives um in you know when their um, their um, weekend activities. Um, they often told me about picnics they they would have um, or visits to uh, famous sites, and they would also talk about the the, the difficulties of being um, a woman in Afghanistan and um, and especially in when they were trying to um, complete higher degrees or or get a job. So it was. It was definitely very. Um, uh, it was definitely very rewarding for me to to work with them, and um, and you know I also learned one important lesson is that is to be patient <laughs> because um, oftentimes um, there were challenges um, uh, with regard to internet connectivity. There were a lot of um, power cuts. Or the the connection would drop, so it was always a. There would always be times when, or there would often be times when we would um, really have to, or we would lose time, but we would try to make the most out of it. And and I think one one final thing that that I um, that inspired me was that they really um, my students really wanted to learn, and they. And they would sometimes go at great lengths to learn and under very uh, challenging circumstances. So I really marvel at their um, their dedication and their um, yeah their dedication and their courage. That was absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that, Leah. Um, I think my takeaway from that answer is the depth of investment in empathy and acknowledging that people come with different stories to participate in a shared reality. So that was very beautifully articulated. Thank you for sharing that. Um, going back a little bit to the intercultural dialogue side of things, um, knowing that you've built bridges using very innovative techniques, uh, 
I'd like to talk about one, which is this play that we had, an intercultural play. Could you take us mm-hmm. through that, um, perhaps a little bit about what inspired it and just your process around creating it? Sure. Yeah, so I actually wrote this play when I was doing a master's in TESO, which stands for Teaching English to Speakers of Other Languages. So I, um, in, I well, where I currently am in San Francisco, I, um, I started studying for a master's. And so one of the classes I was taking was in, um, was in teaching English through drama. And our final, we had to choose a final project. And I was, I was exploring different options. And I thought, you know, I really like the idea of creating a play around um, that uh, centers on various themes um, that um, international students um, experience when they're, when they're in the U.S. And so um, the play is divided into five scenes, and each scene um, focuses on one, one topic, for example, friendship, uh, differences in educational, the educational system, um, I think uh, also uh, dealing with stereotypes and, and negative perceptions of a certain culture. And each character um, is from a different country and culture. Um, one, uh, one of them is from Vietnam, one is from Iran, one is Syrian German, um, and uh, one is Argentinian. Um, and I think, yeah, and I, I can't remember the fifth one, <laughs> or I think it's four, but, uh, anyway, they, um, uh, and so they're all based on my own experiences of these cultures, I, and, and what I learned from them, um, and, uh, and so I wanted to put myself in the shoes of an international student who comes to the U.S. and who is navigating uh, this different culture, and who is trying, who has questions, and who is trying to make sense of, of behaviors that they're um, that they are ex- experiencing, that they're witnessing, and um, and what better way to do that than through a play? And so the the different characters. Um, uh, really have these discussions about things that they've noticed. Um, and there is a progression to the, um, in the play. And um, we start to notice um, in, throughout the scene that there is a tension building between one of the characters who is much more um, confident, who has managed to find friends and to feel more integrated, whereas uh, the others feel more isolated and uh, and are in some ways envious, and um, and also within that, um, we also um, um, they also experience um, discrimination, or they also start to see that there are um, uh, misconceptions about their identities. So I wanted to bring that to the fore because I felt it, it is. Um, you know, not every, you know, in every experience, there are challenges, there are um, feelings of, of, of um, doubt, and there are feelings of, of um, 
disappointment too um, about what um, what the experience um, could have been, or so I, I wanted to to bring that up in the um, in the play, and so my goal with that play was to to actually pilot it, and uh, unfortunately, it never quite happened. I mean, I did um, use some of the content, some of the scenes, and discuss them in an American culture in a class on American culture. But that's the extent of it. Um, my my dream is that it will one day become or one day be integrated into a course and will be taught. So. Wow, um, I'm so completely mesmerized by the um, the utmost creativity and depth of this endeavor and the nuances involved in crafting this kind of a play. And I absolutely love the idea of using theater and performance art to learn about um, different senses of behaviors, different cultures, societies, and just the feeling of being in a new world, so to say. So thank you so much for sharing your experiences. And we really hope that uh, we get to see this play somehow in the future. Um, so building on this exploration of different creative means of education, what are some of your observations around the use of theater in teaching and dialogue building? Sure. So um, I've noticed several things when I integrate um, drama activities into the classroom. Um, one of them is that I noticed students who were initially very um, uh, guarded and reserved become more uninhibited, more relaxed. And I've noticed that more with my uh, students in, um, in uh, uh, classes here. So I teach uh, literacy and beginning English. And so oftentimes I start with um, an activity called word ball. And I mean, there's no real... Uh, dialogue, but it's more of a way of using uh, improvisation and, and using movement to relax the body, to relax the mind. So they basically throw an invisible ball at each other and, say, and, and use um, language like, how are you? I'm fine. Um, so, so it's, again, it's a way of, of, of taking themselves out of the, the, the classroom setting and just and just playing with language and doing it in a way that's 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 um, engaging and interactive. Um, I also think that can be very therapeutic, um, especially when when you're exploring more sensitive topics, and and at the same time can also be a way of processing um, those topics. So. One example is um, when I was teaching in Senegal, um, I did a training on consent, um, which I realized was a very, um, I know is a controversial topic. It's, it's, not, it's not a topic that is really discussed and um, can, if, and can be, um, yes, sensitive. So I... Um, what I had the students do is I shared some scenarios where they had to look at and discuss whether um, consent occurred between the individuals. And so what was great is that there uh, a discussion ensued and, and 
people shared their opinions. Some felt that consent had occurred. Some felt that it hadn't. And so then I gave, you know, I shared my uh, perspective and gave some um, um, some key points about what consent uh, is. And then after that, I asked them, okay, now let's go back to the scenarios. How would you change them? And, and so the, the result was absolutely mind-blowing. I, I just thought that they would just have a little, um, you know, a short skit. But they, the students, went absolutely, um, they were so creative in how they approached, um, you know, changing the scenario to make it more um, it's to 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 reflect consent, um, and to me, it, it what came to mind that moment was the what they call uh, theater of the oppressed. So it's a it's a pedagogical framework um, um, created by Augusto Boal, and um, and he looked at how you can explore social um, social issues through drama and find solutions and so everyone all the um what they call spectators respect that uh spectators um are involved in that process and really they they looked at okay th this is this issue how can we change that how can we change our perception on consent and um it was a it was really beautiful i was um so moved and so impressed by their um, ability to create something based, uh, you know, drawing from the materials and the training. So yeah, it was it was amazing. That was absolutely amazing. Uh, the depth of work that goes into making the efforts of yours possible. Thank you so much for sharing that, Leah. Especially with the the activity that you also articulated so beautifully. Thank you. Um, so you did touch upon it a little bit, but I'm going to ask if we could go a little uh, more in depth uh, in terms of what anecdotes stand out in your memory so far. Um, share maybe two or three that you're comfortable sharing would be really nice. Yes, sure. Um, oh, yes, it, it's um, it's a great question because um, I mean there are so many, and um, but yeah, I'll share you know maybe two or three. Yeah, that that. Um, stand out. Um, one of them uh, was actually, it's a, when I, it was when I first started teaching in Vietnam and I was teaching a class of, it was children basically between the ages of three and five. So that was very new territory for me. I, uh, I had never, I previously had limited experience with that. And so I was teaching um, them about um, prepositions uh, in under, on, and um, and so I, we were in a, this this um, in the classroom. There are all kinds of materials and equipment. So I took what looked like a box, and so I was showing them. And I and I used a plastic fruit, and I said, "Okay, where is the apple?" Um, and so I put it in the box. And the students looked at me blankly, and some of them were kind of laughing. And so I thought, okay, what are, what's going on? And the teaching assistant there told me, she said, you know, that, that thing that you use, that's the potty. That's what they use to, that's the toilet for the, the kids. And I was mortified. And I thought, oh my gosh. Um, 
yeah, so that was one experience. Um, another one was, um, um, I guess, when um, in the U.S. I was, um, uh, let's see, I, I, what I've enjoyed is um, I, was, I, I taught a citizenship class last uh, spring and um, it's, it's basically a class that prepares students to become, uh, to take a test to become U.S. citizens. And so one of the activities was to talk about what, why they wanted to become U.S. citizens. And, um, and so I wrote the phrase on the board, I want to. Um, and, um, and so students gave really powerful answers. Some of them said, um, I want to be free. Um, I want to be happy. Um, I want to take care of my family. So it was, it was really amazing to see the, the answers. And, and I was very um, grateful that they shared that, um, those uh, personal answers with me. Um, other memories were, um, anecdotes were when I taught a group of women from Yemen. And we were looking at a story um, of a woman from uh, Guatemala, I believe. And so she, she, it was a memory of her childhood. And she talked about um, wearing these beautiful ribbons in her hair and the mountains, the air of the mountains. And so the students um, read the story and then um, were supposed to write their own a memory and um, and so what what came out of that was um, that some of them shared beautiful pictures of of their um, of the towns or villages where they came from so so they showed me a picture of Aden of um, of Sanaa and um, it was and um, Eb and I know I'm not pronouncing the names correctly but it was just amazing and I had never seen pictures of, of Yemen before. I mean, it was so green and lush and I, I didn't know that. And so I was very grateful that, again, that they had shared um, these memories with me. And um, I, one more memory I have um, is that, um, is when I was um, teaching in Germany and it was, I, I was sent to teach uh, at a car factory. And it was a um, it was business English, and so I was teaching a room full of managers, and they had to prepare for a meeting. And so, you know, they I basically they had to do a role play, or they had to conduct a role play, and um, and it was just fun to watch them um, uh, be, uh, engage in this meeting and use the language, and and they and for the first time, they, I saw they were more relaxed because. Initially, they were always very, um, again, very um, restrained or had a lot of restraint in their manner and were reserved. And you know, there I saw them a little bit more um, laid back. So interesting. Thank you so much for telling, about, telling us about these experiences, Leah. Um, your experiences sounds simply lovely and so engaging and creative and and I can really understand why these stand out to you in your memory. My biggest takeaway from 
uh, the anecdotes that you shared is that in fact we have so much to learn from them so thank you for that so moving on to a different tangent uh, you've also worked with refugee communities what are some of the struggles and learning gaps that refugee children face in their education and how can access to education be made easier for these refugee communities yeah i mean um i uh, definitely i mean my um I wouldn't say I have a lot of experience working with refugee communities. Um, my experience is more limited to mentoring. So I did, I mostly did um, mentoring of um, refugee communities. And so uh, for me, the challenges that I've seen, um, and I've mostly worked with adults, so I can't really speak um, to the experience of working with uh, refugee children. But I would say that, that the, um, that the challenges is that um, is uh, is really uh, motivating motivating the, the the communities because I know for a lot of them so the the communities I'm working with now are in um, detention centers or community housing and they don't really see a future they don't really have much hope. So how is it, how can we help them to maintain that motivation in, given the limited opportunities that are available to them at this point? So that's been really challenging and I don't really have an answer to that. Um, I do know that there are resources online for um, refugees who want to pursue an education. Chiron or Chiron is an online university where they can, um, you know, pursue a degree now granted they also need a certain level of English to access it so it's true it, it, it's own it it limits um, the op I mean I guess it, it it limits the opportunities for for refugees who are more who are emerging language learners or who have limited schooling um, so I think in that sense it's true the 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 key concern is is how comfortable they're using are they using um, another language and how much schooling they've had and what their level of motivation is so that those are um, I think uh, real struggles real challenges and um, and again I, I don't know um, yet what what solution what the solutions are I think one of the key takeaways for me is to just um, listen um, with compassion and empathy and to just acknowledge that they are, um, you know, that they are in a very difficult situation and to just um, be there as a support, as support. That's a very poignant point. Don't you think it's easier said than done? Um, if, if you could, probably look back on your journey and reflect with us on some of the challenges you've encountered. Uh, what would that look like? Sure. When I taught abroad is um, navigating um, the, the differences in culture, especially if it's a culture that's um, significantly different from, from mine. How do, so the question is how, how do I understand it? How do I um, adapt? And, and also how do I manage in a culture where I don't speak the language. And this was particularly the case when I was in Vietnam. I couldn't speak the language. I was, um, I was uh, 
um, I had to adjust to different cultural norms and behaviors and, and that posed uh, a lot of challenges. It, it, was never, it was never easy. So I definitely felt, uh, I definitely um, felt those differences and, and it, it did feel isolating uh, because I, um, I didn't, um, I didn't, I, I looked different. <laughs> First of all, I looked different. Um, I stood out because of the way I looked. And I also, um, I just my behaviors didn't really always um, correspond to to how you're expected to behave. So, um, so it did, it did feel like, um, you know, I, I did feel um, like I didn't belong. Um, and the, I think the, also the other challenges is to, um, is to know that things don't always happen the way you want them to, and that's okay. And I, I learned that when I was in Senegal, um, uh, I learned to become patient and to, and to just, and, and be more flexible because even though things don't happen the way you want them to, um, eventually you do reach some goal. It's, it's maybe not the goal you had anticipated, but it is something. And, um, it, and maybe it's, it, it's a better goal because you, you know, you had expected it to be a certain way and, and, and it, and it changed and, and maybe for better, for better. And so that, that was something that I, um, that I, I um, became more comfortable with over time. And I think in the places, uh, one of the things too is to understand that, um, you know, you can't, you, you can be in places where people will judge you, um, where they will challenge you because of, you know, the way you behave, because of your, maybe the way you teach. And, and, and the one one um, solution is to not take it personally. I know it's easier said than done, but to not take it personally because everyone's different. At the end of the day, everyone has a different uh, perception of how things should be or can be, and so just um, just be the best or be yourself. To <laughs> Um, and and just say this is what I can offer. You may like, you may not like it, but this is um, this is what I can um, teach. This is what I can um, share, and um, I it, I can always improve. Um, but just know that um, this is um, this is yeah what I can offer. Thank you so much for articulating the challenges that you face, Leah. It's, it's very inspiring to hear about your resilience and your strength and spirit and the fact that you didn't give up but chose to learn from your experiences, even the not-so-good ones. So thank you so much for sharing those. I want to speak to you about another feather in your cap. You recently became a fellow at the Royal Society of Arts. Congratulations. That is such exciting news. Um, thank you. Tell us. Can you tell us about what your role entails and what you're going to be doing in this capacity? 
Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, I mean, it's a, it's very recent. Um, so I'm still learning what I'll be doing so that I'll find out more in the next few, uh, few weeks. But one of my, uh, primary goals is to, um, is to use this, uh, fellowship to apply for grants. Um, and, um, which will hopefully help to fund projects in the future. Um, and um, and then also to network with other fellows because I, I, I feel that I could um, learn a lot from, from other people in the field. I'm sure there are others who are working on in peace building and, and intercultural communication. And so for me, it's, it's really, um, I see it as, um, as a chance to um, to reach out to others and to also see if there are possibilities of collaborating and um, sharing information and resources. So yeah, I'm, I, I'm looking forward to it. Again, it's, it's, it's new territory, but, um, but I, I'm looking forward to, to this next, um, to this experience. Definitely sounds like an exciting time ahead and knowing you, I'm sure it's going to be very fulfilling both for yourself as well as for, um, the Society of Fellows itself. Um, so looking ahead, uh, what do you see as the future of the work that you're doing? Um, and, and aside from the fellowship, of course, is there something that you're uh, working on or you're focusing on in the days to come? And if you could end with a note of advice to people who want to follow in your footsteps, that would be great. Sure. So um, for me, uh, my future, the way I see it, is I'll definitely continue to teach. Um, that's, it's my life passion. And, um, and so I, I, it's, it's the career that I've chosen. And then I will continue to, um, to develop, to hone my skills, um, to learn from others. Um, but I think that I will narrow it down to more um, to teaching English for specific purposes. Um, is in particular health, uh, because um, I think that uh, this is a topic that um, that concerns me. It concerns everyone, and I, I feel that it is it is needed. Um, I'd also like to become involved in coaching, um, uh, coaching people, in particular women, in in their careers and their lives. So uh, I feel that there is something I can do with that. Um, I'll definitely continue to do uh, facilitation and dialogue building. Um, that is something that I, um, um, that is, again, that I'm passionate about. So I, I really hope I'll have more opportunities to be involved in projects um, related to that. Um, and I'm also working in the U.S. I'm currently working on a project where we, um, it's a curriculum where we, um, this colleague and I are, um, are, well, it first, initially it was a, it was a curriculum on healthy relationships and consent, but we realized that, um, this topic was a bit sensitive for the, the populations with, this, with whom we were working. So we decided to modify it and instead focus on, um, uh, um, talking to friends, finding resources, and um, when, when there's, uh, there's um, uh, 
when the, the, the individuals are faced with uh, domestic violence or, or violence in general. And, um, and, to, and, and also to encourage the uh, students in the class to find, to, to work together to find the, the solution. Um, I'm also um, working with um, uh, educators in uh, Kerala uh, who are part of an NGO called Jaibim International. So we're working on a curriculum um, and uh, they, they teach students who are from the Delhi community and, um, and, they, um, and the idea is for them to, to empower them, to provide them with tools so that they can um, find, they can pursue a higher education, they can find jobs, and they can just, and they can build, they can develop confidence in themselves. Um, two other projects that are um, in the works are one project in Senegal, where I, um, I've been trying to uh, combine uh, teaching English and hip hop. Um, and so I've been working, or I've been, um, exchanging with uh, an amazing raptivist called uh, Aisha Fukushima. So she does um, these um, trainings and workshops around the world and empowers you through hip hop. And basically they write, um, they write their own lyrics, they write their own songs and uh, they perform them. And so we, because she's had experience in Senegal and has worked with um, other rappers on the ground, I thought it would be great to collaborate and to um, use uh, uh, to use the combination of of English language teaching and hip hop to um, uh, to involve youth in in community activities and community based activities and service learning in exploring social issues. And my final project. Is would be in, is in France, and it is to again to um, start trainings or facilitation in inter um, interfaith sorry trainings and facilitation um, with a another colleague who has started um, an, an organization, and basically it is to bring together Muslim and Jewish communities so that they can um, dialogue, they can work together, and um, so we'll see how it goes. Um, so uh, to end with advice on uh, for aspiring educators, well, first of all, I think it is crucial that um, that you seek out a community of educators or, or that you create community with your colleagues. Um, I, I can't tell you how um, grateful I am to have had um, a community of, of um, to have created a community with my colleagues to really um, um, received so much support from them and to have felt motivated to have received um so much wisdom from them um really you it community is really needed in our field um it it uh, helps us to um to stay focused it helps us to stay enthusiastic it keeps our um, um it keeps our energy going um I know that if I if I didn't have a community, I would be struggling a lot more um, with uh, working as a teacher um, because I know I know the constraints, I know the challenges of working as a teacher, and so having a support group, having people who are rooting for you, who are there for you, um, 
and and um, is is really comforting. Um, I also say if you're first if you're starting um, in the field, especially um, yeah, if it's language teaching, um, find another experienced teacher who's willing to mentor you and show you the tricks of the trade. Um, I really um, when I was doing my training, I had a senior teacher who um, basically mentored me who and, and thanks to her, I will always be grateful to her. I became a teacher thanks to her. So I really feel that um, having someone who can uh, give you advice, who can observe you, give you feedback on ways to improve, um, who is rooting for you too, is encouraging you because being a teacher is a hard job. So also feeling like they are um, supporting you is so important. Um, one thing too is to understand that you uh, is to understand um, that you can't cater to everyone's needs. So you also you give fifty percent of yourself, and the students have to give the other fifty. Um, you have to know your boundaries, um, and and don't be afraid. And please don't be afraid to set your limits because. At the end of the day, you're, the ultimate goal is for the students to become self-advocates and to develop agency. What that means is that, they, that at some point in their life, they have enough you know, tools or knowledge that they can um, manage in their own lives, that they can lead their own lives. They don't need, it's, it doesn't sound so as good, but they don't need the teacher anymore. They can um, thrive, um, and and you can't be always there to you can't always be there to solve their problems. So the best thing that you can do is to listen and be empathetic and to and to um, and to be there to provide them again with the necessary tools. But they but then you let them go and then they figure it out on their own. And the last thing I will say is practice self-care. Be kind to yourself. Know that you are doing the best that you can and some days will be fantastic. Some other days will be just dismal, but you're doing what you can and you're a human being at the end of the day. So um, just be proud of what you're doing. Um, your teaching profession is is hard, but it's also extremely rewarding. And without us, there would be no doctors, there would be no lawyers, there would be no engineers, there would be uh, no um, peace builders, there wouldn't be anybody. There would not be anybody. So we are important, we matter. What a beautiful way to end this episode, Leah. Those are some amazing words of advice. Thank you so much for sharing. And your future projects are just brimming with beautifully creative ideas and compassionate ones too. And Keithy and I are so excited to see what the future brings for you. And we really look forward to hearing more about your travels and experiences. Thank you so much.